0: Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast, brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about Prophecy of the Nations, which is part three in our mini-series on prophecy. And so you have Jeff and Alan along as well. Gentlemen, why don't we just dive right into it, and Alan, maybe we can just start by you talking about what you covered in our first two podcasts, and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. Brian, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, in our first
2: podcast, we saw that every inspired statement by any prophet is is seen by God as prophecy. So, some people like to think that prophecy is only those predictions of the future. But the reality is, is that every word from Genesis to Malachi in God's eyes is prophecy because it's inspired of God. So we spent a little bit of time talking about how God called these prophets and how these prophecies were were developed. Then in our second podcast, we, we looked closely at the Messianic prophecies. We looked at how God has predicted many things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and As we start our podcast today, we will do some reviewing on that, but for
1: those of you who didn't get to listen to those, uh, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to them. Yeah, those are really two good podcasts. We appreciate the effort you put into those, Alan, and you know, I was thinking, there's so much misunderstanding about prophecy, and as we know, there are religions like the Mormon religion, for instance, which claims to have received latter-day prophecy, but when you compare it to what the scriptures say, that's impossible. Because God gave us His fully revealed Word, and so therefore there's no need for any additional prophecy. So before we we dive into what we're going to talk about today, Jeff, let me give you a chance to say anything that you'd like to about the first couple episodes and anything that we covered.
0: Well, and for those again who uh, haven't had a chance to go back and review them, certainly we would encourage that. You know the first uh, part one was kind of more of an introduction to prophets and prophesying and, what God intended their role uh, to be, uh, and how to tell a true prophet from a false prophet, which, you know, as we alluded to with uh, Mormons and uh, many other religious groups today uh, that claim, you know, modern-day inspiration from God, including uh, Pentecostals, as an example. And then, as you said, part two was more into into Messianic. So, uh, looking forward
1: to uh, part three today. Yeah, Alan, so what are we going to cover in today's episode?
2: Well, today we want to talk about another huge realm where God is talking about the future. And that revolves around nations. God has determined in his own mind, and we'll discuss how he does that, what nations must do in order to continue to exist, and at what point in the history of a nation that God will remove them and replace them. And so many prophecies in the Old Testament about the fall of Babylon, the fall of Assyria, the fall of Israel, the fall of just nation after nation after nation. Some of these predictions are hundreds of years in the future. Some of them are months or years in the future. But they always center on two basic points, which we'll talk about at the end of our podcast, because... Although God hasn't sent any prophets today, we can certainly look at the nature of the world we live in, and using God's standards, we can get a kind of an idea of where we are in this progression of the birth and the fall of nations. So I want to remind our listeners of something that I think is just crucial about this, and that is that the foundation of all prophecy about the future is inspiration. The promise that God has given, that not a single word of anything any prophet wrote was ever written by his own thoughts or his own thinking or his own opinions. That every single word was revealed by the Holy Spirit. And, Jeff, why don't you read that verse for us? Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, God gives us something very important.
0: Knowing this first... That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Of course, this verse is referring to, as you alluded to earlier, true prophets. Of course, false prophets, you know, make up their own stuff all the time, but those that are really true prophets are indeed speaking through the Holy Spirit uh, from God.
2: You know that's an excellent point, Jeff. And one of the wonderful things about the Old Testament scriptures is that through the course of Jesus' life, he validated each of the books in the in the Old Testament. So there's absolutely no doubt if if Jesus had any knowledge at all that there were books in there that shouldn't be there or that there were books that had been lost, that should have been there, he most certainly would have revealed it to us. But the truth is that Compared to creating the heavens and the earth, compared to raising Jesus from the dead, giving us a book that's flawless and keeping that book flawless throughout the centuries. This is my biggest contention or, or troubling attitude toward the Mormons. The Mormons base their book on a statement that the true scriptures have been corrupted. And how could, how could that be? How could the God who took all the time and effort to create these two books, the Old Testament and the New Testament, then allow man to corrupt them. It's just not possible, especially with the promise. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away and my words will not pass away. And so the word of God is living and active and incorruptible and the awe and the reverence and the respect that that should create within our own hearts to know that God has made these promises and this will keep us strong. This will keep us uh, firm. Like I say, when the, the Mormons tell us we needed a new book because uh, the Old Testament was corrupted, the New Testament was corrupted, we can't trust it anymore. What a terrible, terrible statement that we can't trust the scriptures.
1: And, you know, Alan, as you mentioned in the first podcast, you know, people would try to say that the book of Isaiah, you know, specifically chapter 53 had to be written after Jesus came, because there's no way that it could have predicted all of those things so accurately. But as you also pointed out, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it confirmed that what Isaiah was in Isaiah was in fact written a few thousand years before Jesus came. And so to me, this is such a foundational passage because it gives us comfort to know that God is the one who directed everything that was written. And so men can try to assail it. But the truth can be verified, right? That the prophecies that were predicted did come to pass.
2: Exactly. And that's the fact that oftentimes those prophecies are quoted in the New Testament long, long after they were written. And matter of fact, there's over two hundred messianic prophecies or two hundred and I say messianic. Messianic comes from the word Messiah, which is the Greek word or Hebrew word for the anointed one. The word Christ and the word Messiah are exactly the same word, except one's in Greek and one's in Hebrew, and they both mean the coming anointed one who will be uh, the Christ, the high priest, the king, and the prophet who would come. And so with perfect accuracy, God said the nation he would be born in, Israel, the tribe that he would come from, Judah, the place that he would be born, Bethlehem, the betrayal by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, the manner of his death, his hands and his feet pierced, and multitudes of other details. And as I say, these are details for God to predict 700 years before that Jesus would be born in the city of Bethlehem, or thousands of years before that he would be born of the tribe of Judah, And literally almost a thousand years before that he would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. These are not vague prophecies. These are specific prophecies. And I want our listeners to think about the risks involved in making these prophecies when we consider the challenge that God has given regarding these prophecies. And so, Brian, why don't you read Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, to help our listeners see what challenge God
1: actually gave. Here it says, and if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. i I just want us to appreciate if man had
2: written the bible this would have been the most foolish thing that could have ever been said because if moses if one prophecy in any of the books moses wrote genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy and god here is saying here's how you will know if the prophet is actually from me and that the words he has written are from me if he makes a prediction of the future. So in the book of Genesis, we have many predictions. We have predictions about Abraham becoming a great nation, about the Messiah coming from Abraham. We have prophecies regarding the coming of the prophet and the future for Israel, that they would fall away, that they would be taken into another nation, that they would be, bringing, that they would be brought back. If a single one of those predictions that Moses made did not come to pass, then those first five books written by Moses would have to be discarded. And as I say, for a man to do that, for a man to say, "Look, every prediction I am making to you will come true," and if one prediction doesn't come true, then I'm a false teacher. And if if you're going to say something like that, you better make sure your prophecies are very vague, because as I say we can't predict the future but think about it if one of Moses's prophecies didn't come to pass the first five books of the bible would be rejected and then like dominoes each book would crash into another until the entire old testament was just lying in a scrap heap because if Daniel made one mistake If Jonah made one mistake, if Isaiah made one mistake, if he made a prophecy of the future and it didn't come to pass, that entire book needs to be removed. And of course, then when Jesus quotes Isaiah, that would impugn his claim that he's a Messiah. So, as I said, only a perfect God, only a God who can see the future and with assurance know what's coming, would give a challenge like this because this is this is great confidence and conviction god is telling us you you will never ever ever find one of my prophets saying something that isn't going to be absolute truth
0: well and kind of indirectly that kind of touches on the subject of what some people call christian evidences you know things that make it reasonable to believe that you know god exists and that the bible is indeed from this you know supreme being Fulfilled prophecy is certainly one of the, the stronger uh, ways of doing that.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's part of the reason I wanted to do it this way, because I, I want our listeners to appreciate, when I say something like the entire Old Testament, every word in the Old Testament is inspired. Every word was not written by Moses. When Moses wrote about the creation, those weren't Moses' words. Those were the words of the Holy Spirit. And if we impugn the words, we're not impugning Moses. We're impugning the Holy Spirit. This is one of the ways that we come perilously close to blaspheming the Holy Spirit today. When we start saying things like, Paul made a mistake, or Paul had prejudices in his own day, and therefore we can reject this verse about women preachers, or this verse about marriage being between a man and a woman exclusively. And so when you do that, Paul said, the things that I write are the commandments of the Lord. Paul said, how by revelation was made known to me the mystery. So when we look at those claims, and again, those are tough claims to accept. I I don't dispute that. But that's why, as Jeff pointed out, these prophecies... They are not, man can't do this. Even the weatherman, I mean, he has computers, he has all this technology, and he tells us tomorrow it's going to rain, or tomorrow it's going to snow, or tomorrow it's going to be sunny. And what is it, half the time? More than half the time? If the weatherman, first the weatherman came on, he said, look, if I ever make a mistake in my my predictions about the weather, don't ever watch me again. Well, (laughs) if a man said something like that, uh, you would know that he was a fool because man does not have the ability to see in the future; only God does.
0: And, and you can kind of see that reinforced with you know, so-called psychics that uh, sort of you know predict the future and make very notable things. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that have predicted the uh, you know return of Christ multiple times, et cetera. But as you said, you know if you miss it once, then yeah, you're not someone that needs to be paid attention to.
1: The other thing is God specifically chose who the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth to. And so we were talking in our very first podcast about the patriarchs like Abraham. And then once Moses came, you know, he was given God's law that he shared with others. And so I guess that kind of segues us into the next point, right? That God hasn't given anyone today the ability to prophecy because prophecy has ceased. And so it kind of goes back to what we were saying as it relates to those who claim to have prophecy It's literally impossible because God was the one who chose to reveal this, and it has been revealed.
2: You know, and that's an excellent point. And I've been watching for years, and these so-called prophets of today, they give vague prophecies, prophecies that could have fulfillment or they could claim fulfillment no matter how things worked out. And these prophecies, I mean, Hal Lindsey and his late great planet Earth back in the 70s and now that generation's just about all dead, and it's pretty clear that Hal Lindsey was a false prophet. And today we have this left left behind series, but once again, as the the time moves along, and none of this happens, we understand that those prophecies were false. I remember back in 1975, Jehovah Witnesses telling us this is going to be the end of the world, and of course it wasn't the end of the You remember in 2000, everybody talked about the fact that terrible things were going to happen on January 1st of 2000, and it never happened. So man is very foolish to make the claim that he can tell us what's going to happen tomorrow, because he can't. But God makes that confident claim because his prophets were inspired, and that's the key. And yeah, that gives me tremendous confidence. I mean, there's there's two things in the Scriptures. Well, actually, several things in the Scriptures that when I start to get concerned or maybe feel a little bit of doubt, uh, I go back to the resurrection and the proofs of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. I go back to all the miracles that Jesus performed and the proof that they were performed is that in Acts 2, Those people repented and came back to God, and his first point was Jesus performed miracles. Now, if he hadn't performed miracles, there would not be a church today. And then, of course, these prophecies, these prophecies in the Old Testament, they bolster faith, they strengthen faith, they give us a confidence and a a realization that we're not basing this on superstition. This is not a crutch for the weak. This is not something that uh, people who want there to be a God, or who want these things because they're weak. That's all false. Uh, God has done everything within His power, and it's plenty if we take a look at all of it, to convince us that every word in the Old Testament and every word in the New Testament is absolute truth, must be accepted as absolute truth, and acted on as absolute truth, and only those who want to twist the scriptures to their own destruction Find a way to take any scripture and say, this doesn't belong in the Bible, or we have misinterpreted this, or the prejudices of the age have snuck in. And that's just, it's not possible. God said that's not possible. And so, those of us who love the Lord, we stick with the scriptures. They are absolute truth, and we are not going to modify or change them in any way because of these prophecies that we're talking about in the Old Testament.
0: Well, and, and one other perhaps a small side comment I might make is that, you know, even amongst those, you know, who claim to be, you know, Christians and following Christ, sometimes they they fall into a, a, a trap, if you will, of thinking, well, yeah, New Testament, that's about Christ. That's what we need to learn. That's what we need to, you know, pay a, you know, a, a lot of attention to. And yeah, all that Old Testament stuff is like, eh, it's, it's sort of interesting historically, but, you know, not is not not nearly as important or, or they get into this whole conundrum with, well, there's a the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. And you know, the Old Testament God was really, you know, wrathful, etc. And they sort of downplay the Old Testament, you know, not that it's binding on us today, but, you know, they tend not to read it. They tend not to be familiar with it. And they don't really realize, as we're alluding to today, is it does still have value.
2: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, that's what Paul said in Romans 15.4. He said, the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning. In 1 Corinthians 10, these things were our examples that we should not lust after evil things like they did. And they were written so that we could learn them and, and take example from them. He told Timothy that these things make you wise unto salvation. And then he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction in righteousness that the the man of God may be complete. And so without these Old Testament scriptures, many times, uh, we're not complete. I mean, if you look at the the sermons in Acts chapters, well, the whole book of Acts, every one of them, is using these Old Testament prophecies, which, sadly, many people today would not be able to use because, again, of the attitude you just described, which is the Old Testament was for the Jews, the New Testament is for Christians. No, the entire Bible is for God's people, and that's how we need to look at it. So, in our last podcast, we talked about how God made 200 prophecies regarding the coming of His Son, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. Today we want to talk about how many times in the Old Testament God prophesied that a nation was going to rise or a nation was going to fall. And as you go through the prophets, these are, there are actually many more scriptures on the rise and fall of nations than there are on the coming of the Messiah. And so when we look at these things, then we need to realize how can God tell us hundreds of years before it occurs that a nation is going to rise or that a nation is going to fall or even name the names of the kings who will be in that nation. It's just just amazing. Again, it's something that man could not do. So he tells Abraham that your children are going to become a great nation. That they're going to be enslaved by egypt that i'm going to punish egypt that i'm going to bring you back to canaan and i'm going to remove the seven nations of canaan and give it to you as as your promise or for your children to have as their promised land now these are predictions that were made hundreds and hundreds of years before their fulfillment and they were made based on god's understanding there's a passage in the book of genesis that says I can't bring them back until the third or the fourth generation because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full or not yet complete. So God was not, could not take the land away from the seven nations of Canaan until certain things had been done. And we want to talk about those things as we go through the lesson because that's what. God uses, and that's how God can do this. He can look into the future. He can see how this nation will rise, how it will live, how it will corrupt itself, when it will corrupt itself to a certain point, and then another nation hundreds or thousands of miles away that is just beginning will take their place. And this has been going on since the beginning of time, and it will go on until the end of time. The only difficulty for us today is we don't have any prophets to tell us where we are in this course or this uh, this system that God has created. But we can certainly look at the principles involved.
1: Yeah, and if you think about it, we don't really need prophecy today in the sense that because we have God's fully revealed word, what he wants us to focus on is being righteous. So he's given us the blueprint, and people yearn to know what's going to happen in the future. Well, we know, 2 Corinthians 5.10, there'll be a judgment. And so I, I find it interesting how, yeah, it's kind of fascinating to be able to know what's going to happen in the future, but really for us it's not necessary. In fact, we know there's going to be a judgment day, but other than that, we don't necessarily need to know Our focus needs to be on our obedience to the Lord and not on, well, I have to, you know, I'd I'd sure like to know what the future is for me or my family or my country, you know.
0: Oh, and and even in what, when Jesus near the end of his ministry, Matthew chapter 24, you know, the the disciples were somewhat concerned about the future uh, in that particular context, the the destruction of the temple. Uh, And Jesus, you know, goes on to talk about his own return. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes on the rest of chapter 24 and all of chapter 25, in many ways, talking to us, saying, you know, in, in terms of the ultimate second return, uh, you don't know. Don't There will be no you know, preceding signs. There won't be a countdown, etc. So you always need to be prepared. Uh, Matthew 24, 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So we should always be prepared.
2: That's an excellent point. One other element of this, though, that that definitely helps me is just the realization that God's in control. God knows when things are going to happen. And uh, he is acting out of love, out of mercy, out of justice, out of righteousness, out of fairness. And so whatever happens, we can trust God. And so I sleep every night. I don't worry about any of this because what God is going to do is going to be for the best and i tell myself sometimes somebody has to be alive when a nation falls and if we happen to be those people then we're going to have to have the same faith that lot had or that daniel had or that those living in the first century had as they were being persecuted and, and troubled with things and we just we put our hands because god knows those who are his and god will protect us there's nothing, neither life nor, nor, nor death, nor things present, nor things come, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. And so we can sleep at night, and we don't have to worry. You know, the news isn't always very pleasant, and the future doesn't always look bright. But for the Christian, the, these things don't matter because of our faith in God. So that's one of the most wonderful things I think that we learn out of the prophets. And of course, Hebrews chapter 11 draws on that. Time would fail me to talk about Barak and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and the prophets who, and he just goes on to talk about all the various things. And and so, as I say, the scriptures are seamless, they're whole. They cover the things that happened in the past, the things that are happening in the present and the things that will happen in the future. And, as I say, as we look at that more and more, our faith in God, our faith in the Scriptures, our faith in Jesus just continues to grow until, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, we don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are only temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so, for the Christian, there is a confidence, there is a comfort, there is a security, and there is peace. And that's
0: probably a a good point just to, you know, emphasize a little bit more because especially in our day and time with concerns about, you know, wars and rumors of wars or environmental climate challenges or, you know, for for older folks, just the, the decaying morality of society, all of which is beyond our control, all of which is beyond our influence. And yeah, we can get vexed with all of that uh, as as Lot was vexed with uh, you know Sodom and Gomorrah. But as you said, th- we have a, you know, insight, if you will, at least into what God wants us to know about the future, you know in terms of its uncertain. But then again, nothing new is under the sun, uh, and that we need to put our you know faith, trust, confidence in him, uh, regardless of what's going on around us.
2: This is what we're really hoping our listeners will take from this podcast, is comfort and stronger faith. Because learning facts without, as Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing the word of God and the word of Christ. And so the more we learn, the more faith, the more faith, the stronger, more comfortable and, and more holy and pure we're going to become. But getting back to our our basic issue that we want to talk about in our our podcast today, and that is God's ability to predict the future regarding the nations. And I think one of the classic, one of the most uh, amazing aspects of this is found in the book of Daniel. I think many of our listeners have heard of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that great image with a head of gold and with shoulders of silver and with a belly of bronze and then the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay and of course the only thing st- said there is that these are four future kingdoms but by the time we get into chapter 7 and chapter 8 are he's mentioning Medo-Persia he's mentioning Greece and he, although the fourth kingdom is unnamed he, exp- he explains that the church the kingdom of the messiah the the Messiah coming, the Messiah returning to heaven. All of these things were going to occur in that fourth kingdom. And so the first kingdom was Babylon, the second kingdom Medo-Persia, the third kingdom Greece, and the fourth kingdom was Rome. And then when you go into later chapters of Daniel, he goes into great specifics about what's going to be happening. And it's fascinating because the historical fulfillment of the things that are written in Daniel are just, it, it's almost as though Daniel was there writing about these things, and yet we know that Daniel was written long before these events occurred. And so it it is amazing. Well, it's not amazing to God, but to us, it's faith-building to see God telling us. And again, to realize if Daniel missed anything, then the whole book is is not from God. And again, that's a pretty serious uh, challenge to make to people. Find one prophecy that didn't come true, throw that book away, and realize it's not it doesn't belong in the Bible. But no matter how much, I remember years ago seeing uh, a, a, a picture of an anvil, and underneath the, the word anvil, it says the Bible. And then on the side are all these broken hammers and and hammers that have been destroyed by banging on the anvil and on the side it says the uh the thoughts of man the the things that man has created and looks at and so it's it's just very fascinating to think about the power of the scriptures the absolute Truth of the Scriptures and all of the foolish things man has devised. You know, I have a sermon on the creation and how all of the nations have their myths, and so the uh, Babylon Babylonian Empire didn't believe the account in Genesis because of their account. Uh, you know, the the Greeks had Zeus and they had the the thinking of of that. And we look back on that and we shake our heads. That's one of the hammers that is broken. And, And today it's evolution. But in years to come, evolution will be disproved, just like all of the other theories of man. And the anvil will continue. And another hammer will be added that has been broken.
1: Yeah, You know, it's interesting, Alan, what I consider to be really the the most beautiful element of Daniel's prophecies are the spiritual kingdom, as you touched on, that would come through Christ. And so you had mentioned, you know, those four physical kingdoms that are mentioned in Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, talking about an everlasting kingdom, of course, which would be the kingdom of Christ. And Peter talks about that also in Second Peter chapter 1, where he talks about in verse 10, you know, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And then he says for verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came, he established the permanent spiritual kingdom that would never end, right? It would certainly be stronger than any of these physical kingdoms that Daniel talked about.
2: Yeah, and that too is an excellent point. And it also points to the The sad reality of the Jews today, because God promised the Messiah would come during the fourth kingdom, which was the kingdom of Rome, and he made many prophecies regarding the time frame when he would come, and yet they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, and soon after, in AD 70, everything closed. The temple was destroyed the jewish nation was destroyed the genealogical tables were destroyed there's no way for anyone to know who who a priest would be today or who a king might be today because no one has any genealogies so the these prophecies in daniel they give us a time frame jesus had to come in the period in which the jewish nation still existed and in which rome was the power the fourth kingdom That puts the coming of the kingdom between about 70 B.C. I think it's 70 or 60 B.C. that Rome becomes the world empire. And then Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 A.D. And so between those two periods is when Jesus had to come. And amazingly, (laughs) well, I say amazingly, but because God uh, has that ability, that's when he came. And everything that was promised in the Old Testament was perfectly fulfilled. So that's a really good point, Brian. I appreciate you bringing that up. All right, so one of the things that I think is crucial for our listeners is to understand that God uses specific standards. And that's why, as he looks in the future, and he sees, okay, this is when Rome is going to reach this point. This is when Judah is going to reach this point. This is when Egypt is going to reach this point. And this is when I will remove them. And so when God removed the ancient world with a flood, it says that the world was full of violence. of so Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And God was grieved in his heart and he removed them. The same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. He appears to Abraham. He tells Abraham the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And he sent two angels down to see if the outcry was as bad. And of course it was. And so Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And he also removed the seven nations of Canaan and replaced them with Israel. And many people today wonder how fair that was. But when we realize the standard by which God uses then we understand the fairness. Now, all of this is kind of summed up in Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 10. And we're just going to read verses uh, 6 through 10 because the first part is God telling Jeremiah to go to the potter's house and to watch the potter make a beautiful ornament or a beautiful pot or, or vase or something. And then he mars it in the process. So he picks up all the clay and he starts over again. And then God makes this application. So, Jeff, would you like to read that for us, please? Jeremiah 18, verses uh,
0: 6 to 10. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. In the instant that I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom to build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit
2: it. This passage is is just so crucial because it's giving us the reasons for the rise and the fall of nations. And nations are like clay in the potter's hand. So God is the potter, and of course each individual is clay, and so also is each nation. And so God warns Israel. Now remember, Jeremiah is the last prophet before Nebuchadnezzar comes in and destroys the temple, kills probably 90% of all the people who were alive at that time in Israel, and only takes a small portion to Babylon. And so Jeremiah was set to warn the people and try to get this repentance. And that's the whole purpose of this this statement. And the reason that God took him here is, yes, I spoke of building Israel up. I spoke of strengthening Israel, but they have become evil. So now I am speaking of plucking up and pulling down and destroying. But if you will turn from evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon you. And so this is a process that we need to understand is how God works. But God can look into the hearts of all the people who are living at that time, and he can see that no matter what I do, they won't repent. Or that if I send a prophet, they will repent. And so God is able to do these things and then to tell us, all right, this is when Rome's going to fall. This is when Israel's going to fall. This is when Egypt or Babylon or Assyria. And God can do that because he can see into the hearts of the people and he can understand that they have forfeited their right to exist. They have forfeited their right to have that land and therefore that land will be taken away from them and given to a new nation so that God can work with that nation. But even then, the same principles apply.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting how it's hard for us to get our minds around how God could know what happens in the future. Yet, in fact, because of that, sometimes people will assume, well, then God's orchestrating all of this. We're all just, in essence, like we're puppets, right? He's dictating everything that happens. But what I like about Jeremiah 18 and, and, you know, your mention of this principle from god's word it clearly shows that god understands man's free will and he's simply using a nation's wickedness or righteousness to accomplish what he would like in fact it even extends to people right so you think about judas iscariot and him selling jesus and so forth and so anyhow i just always found it interesting how because it's so difficult for us to understand how god could know the future it's so easy to assume that he's just pulling the strings, so to speak, behind the scenes, when really the truth is he's simply using man's free will to accomplish his own will.
2: Yeah, and that's a critical point. God never violates man's free will. God never forces people to do things that he wants them to do, but he is so infinitely wise That even with man's free will, God can still see exactly how things are going to come up because he has that much wisdom. He can look at someone, you know, I've watched parents sometimes, and their parents understand their children well enough that they can see which direction that child is going to go. And think of God who is infinitely wiser than we are, and he can read into the hearts of all men, and he knows exactly what will happen. And it's like Jesus with Nathaniel. He said, I saw you under the fig tree, and I know within your heart there is no guile. And Nathaniel was shocked because he didn't he didn't think anybody saw whatever happened under that fig tree, but the Lord did. And so this is this is an excellent, excellent again, another reason, another faith-building thing is to see God able to do this. And the the book of Jonah, fascinating book. Uh, And it illustrates exactly what God is saying here. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and cry out against it and tell them in 40 days Nineveh is going to be overthrown. But when the king heard, he proclaimed a fast. He told everyone to, to repent. He told everyone to pray, hoping that God would relent. And that's exactly what it says at the end. God relented from the disaster he said he would bring upon them. Well, is God fickle? No, he's not fickle. He saw that Nineveh was about to pass the point where they had the right to exist, so he sent a prophet to warn them. And that's exactly what preachers today are supposed to do. When they see the same things that are happening in America or in any part of the world, then they, like Jonah, have responsibility, at least to the people that, that they're preaching to, the, the people of God, the people in the church. They need to be warning. And this is part of our evangelistic efforts, is to warn people that that these things need to be repented of or terrible things are on the horizon. So the the last thing we want to talk about in our podcast today is what are these Standards. What is it that God is looking for? What has to happen in a nation before the land no longer belongs to them? They no longer have a right to that land. Remember, God is the Creator, and God has given each one of us our life. He has given us our nation. He has given us our land. But He warns us that your wickedness will cause you to lose your soul. And ultimately, when enough people become wicked, It will cause them to lose their nation and to lose their land. And God made two specific statements that are very critical to our understanding of what needs to be preached against and what needs to be understood as things that will ultimately lead to the destruction of a nation. And the first one centers on the marriage relationship and the sexual activity that God created exclusively for that marriage relationship. And we see this back in the Garden of Eden. One of the things that's fascinated me through the years is the fact that Adam did not decide to marry Eve at some point after she was created. When God took the rib out of his side and made that woman, they were one flesh. So when Adam woke up, he was married, and he was a family. And so the final act of creation is not just the creation of Adam and Eve, but it's the creation of marriage and the family. And it's interesting that in chapter 2 of Genesis, it says it is not good. The only time in Genesis 1 and 2 when God says it is not good is when it says it's not good for Adam to be alone. And then he creates Eve. And the sexual relationship, the pleasure of the sexual relationship, the children of a sexual relationship, Those are exclusively reserved for the man and the woman that God joins together. And everything sexual outside of that marriage relationship, God sees it as a terrible abomination. If you read Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 30, and again it's repeated in in Leviticus chapter 20, it lists all of the things that god considers to be an abomination he starts with incest and then he moves to adultery to fornication to homosexuality and even to something so disgusting we seldom talk about it but for a man or a woman to have sexual relationships with a beast with an animal and god sees all of this as an abomination and as something that is defiling And so we need to understand that marriage is the critical aspect of having sexual relationships with someone. And without that, it's an abomination. And the more people are involved in that, the more defilement occurs. And one of the statements in Leviticus 18 that I think is very important for our our listeners to think about is when God lists all these sexual things, incest and and adultery and homosexuality and bestiality and even fornication, it says, by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I will visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. So, this is something that god has created and when we use it improperly i'm talking about the sexual relationship it's it's a beautiful thing created for those in a marriage relationship and when it is practiced like a recreational activity outside of the marriage relationship then it becomes something that defiles a nation and leads to god casting them out well, and
0: even thoughtful people uh, today who may not even be Christians, you know, talk about the value of strong marriage, or the value of the family, or, you know, as the family goes, so goes the nation. Because if you, you know, start raising multi-generations of people that have, you know, casual attitudes you know, toward one another, or toward the marriage relationship, etc., you know, you can see that that basically contributes to the crumbling uh, of society, more of a self-centered what's in it for me, not necessarily what can I do to strengthen the us, you know, again, within, within the family. And of course, that, that kind of selfishness just snowballs when you get out into society as as an employee or a citizen, etc.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And that's why, at least for our listeners, I want to give you pause. Because the world has become very corrupt, and we are the light of the world, and we are the salt of the earth. And if God's people start caving in to immorality, they start committing fornication, they start committing adultery, they begin to get involved in these activities that God says will defile a land. Then they need to understand this is what God told Israel uh, in Leviticus 18 verses 28-29. It says lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Now, vomiting is a pretty gross thing. And, and yet, here God is using it, just like a man will vomit up uh, food poisoning. If if a man starts throwing up after he's eaten food, it's because that food is, is poisonous. And here God is saying those of you who get involved in sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship, the land will vomit you out just like it vomited out the nations that were before you. Now it won't happen right away, but when all of the nation is given over to it, like Egypt was, like the seven nations of Canaan were, like Sodom and Gomorrah was, then that they no longer have a right to that land. That land will vomit them out, and God has every right to destroy them, and to give them their give their land and their nation or their their possessions to someone else, and that's exactly what he did with the seven nations of Canaan. It's exactly what Assyria did with Israel, and it's exactly what Babylon did with with Judah, and on and on it goes and will continue until the end of the age until this this world ceases to exist,
1: well, and you know it's from the very beginning God gave a mandate, really, to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, right, and subdue it. And so when you think about it, at a real basic level, the marriage relationship was established so that the world could be populated. And so for people, for instance, who would endorse homosexual relationships, well, that can't be done if you have two men or two women. And in fact, man has become so perverse, I think we're probably all aware medically they're they're trying to to make it so that a man can carry a baby. Well, I mean, what an abomination that is. And not only that, but if you look at some of these nations that you talk about, Alan, that were vomited out, you know, they were having children, but then they were offering them to like Molech because they didn't want the children. They wanted to have the pleasure of the sexual relations. But they didn't the children just kind of got in the way. And well, guess what we see today? Abortion does the same thing, right? So anyhow, if we go back to Genesis and we say, this is God's intention, it becomes easier, I think, to see you know how man has twisted and perverted that uh, anyhow. just just a secondary thought about all this.
2: Well, and it's it's interesting you say that, Brian, because that's the next point in our podcast. And actually, the final point before we come to our conclusion, And that is that the second area that God is deeply concerned about is the taking of human life. Or let me rephrase that, the taking of innocent human life. And starting back in Genesis 4.10, after Cain killed his brother Abel, God said, "The, the blood of your brother is crying out to me. So God hears the cry of those people who are put to death and should not be, they're innocent. In Genesis 9 and verse 2, it says, I will require the blood of every man at the hand of the murderer, and that murderer must be put to death. And so the concept of murder is something that God sees as an abomination. Matter of fact, um, Brian, why don't you read Numbers 35 verses 33 and 34 and kind of give our listeners an opportunity to see exactly what God thinks about this kind of murder.
1: Here it says, So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. And no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. So this
2: is a passage that talks about the land itself becoming polluted. Now, we know what pollution is. We, we hear about it a lot. When a, a situation arises where a ship or a truck or a tanker is breached or broken open and whatever the contents are that shouldn't be there Whether it's oil on the coasts, or whether it's a pesticide that falls into a river, or something along that line, and everything is destroyed, everything is ruined. Uh, And yet, God has the ability for that land to be restored, because he has placed that resiliency into his creation. But in the spiritual realm or in the moral realm or in the realm of those who have a land that God has given to them and they have the right to, if they pollute that land, then the blood will defile it and there is no atonement, no way to clear it, no way to to clean it up except by the blood of the person who shed the original blood. So this is a passage that teaches capital punishment. I know that some of our listeners are... Uh, people who have been taught that capital punishment is cruel, that it shouldn't be practiced, that God doesn't want it. And that's just as false as it can be. The only way for blood to be atoned for, when a murder occurs, the murderer must be executed. And if that's not happening, then that blood is getting, is crying out and the chorus is getting louder and louder and louder and of course, This is what concerns me about abortion. A million babies a year are being murdered in America. And I think it's like 30 or 40 million in the entire world every year. And those people, that is innocent life that has been taken for the purpose, as Brian pointed out earlier, for the purpose of the sexual pleasure of a man and a woman and the fact that they don't want the consequences and that's what gives us a pretty clear understanding of why God hates fornication and why God hates adultery because the children that are produced are not loved and they're not wanted and they are uh, in the in the earlier years they were offered up as sacrifices now they are offered up as sacrifices before they're born and we hear people saying well these aren't human these are, these are embryos. Well, leave it alone for nine months, and what does it become? It, it is a human being, and, and so the land is being polluted, and there's really no way to fix it because uh, we can't execute all the doctors and nurses and all of those things. This is blood that is not going to be atoned for. And at some point, with the sexual immorality and the shedding of blood, innocent blood, and the fact that capital punishment is not being practiced, all of this is becoming a stronger and stronger cry. And as God's people, we need to shun these things. We need to shun fornication and adultery. We need to shun the idea that we could take the life of an innocent child because we've done something that we shouldn't have done, and now the child has to pay the price for it so these two things sexual immorality and murder are the two main criteria that god uses to determine when a nation will fall when its land will be taken away and when a new nation will come in and they will have that land so that pretty much is what we wanted to talk about in our podcast today as we started the podcast we talked about the power of God's prophecies, that God has made a challenge. If you can find one of my prophecies of the future that doesn't come to pass, then throw that book away. And that, of course, would destroy the fabric of the Old Testament scriptures. So God makes a very strong challenge. And, you know, it never happened. Never one time did any of the prophecies God gave in the Old Testament not come to pass. And so we have these wonderful prophecies, prophecies of uh, the coming Messiah and sadly prophecies of the rise and fall of nations. And now we know why. When children of Israel became so corrupt, they were offering their children as sacrifices, they were committing adultery, fornication, incest, homosexuality, and God said, that's it. And he tried to get them to repent. As he said in the book of Jeremiah, if I have decided to punish them, but they will turn from these evil things, then I will relent. And so it's it's beautiful to see the amazing things that God has done to validate his word and to give us an understanding. And so even though we've ended the podcast on a little bit of a negative note, just talking about why God would destroy Nations, I hope that we can see that this is a very positive and a very powerful lesson, and the value of the prophets and the prophecies are we can't even add them up they, there's just so much value to them. And so uh, as we conclude our podcast, I just want uh, Jeff, would you like to read Second Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine? That's a passage in uh, that that it talks about the fact that God's not harsh. God's not quick. God doesn't uh, move quickly. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is merciful, and He wants everyone to be saved, and He doesn't want anyone to perish. The
0: passage I'm about to read is kind of set within the context of the global flood, uh, as you uh, indicated earlier, uh, as well as you know the fiery judgment awaiting uh, the world, you know at the end of time. And in the middle of that, uh, he, he says this, of uh, this is uh, verse 8. A beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance.
2: And so the... Terrible consequences of sin, not just for the nation, but for the individual, are are set forth here. God promises to save us. He promises to forgive us. He promises to bless us. But there are things we have to do. We have to obey the gospel. We have to hear the word of God and believe it. We have to repent of our sins. We have to confess our faith and live it for the rest of our lives that Jesus is the Christ And we have to be immersed in the water of baptism to receive the remission of sins and to be made alive together with Christ so that we can become his children. And so he's not slack concerning his promises of heaven or concerning his promises of of destruction of wicked people. But he's long-suffering and he wants every person in the world to come to repentance so they don't have to perish. And that is the most important thing about God that all of us need to understand.
0: Well, and I like the way, Alan, that that you mentioned, you know, both nationally as well as personally. As you said, at least for the Christian, uh, there are some, you know, things they can take solace in uh, with the world sort of, you know, crumbling all around them. Uh, In fact, if you go uh, one book prior uh, back into 1 Peter, you know, I was reminded of uh, chapter 4, which, you know, speaking of an encouraging uh, encouragement for Christians. Uh, let me just read a few verses there, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, which in some ways we've been talking about today, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you, And, of course, verse uh, 7, that the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. So, yeah, we can get vexed with all of the things that are going on round about us. But at the very least, we can, you know, keep ourselves, so to speak, on the straight and narrow, uh, have a good attitude, you know, looking forward to the, you know, the the justice, uh, ultimate justice at some point in the future, uh, as well as God's grace.
1: Yeah, I appreciate, Jeffy bringing out those additional passages because, you know, ultimately, and I like how this podcast is ending because ultimately God has our best interests at heart. He simply asks for our obedience. And the things that we've covered as it relates to the marriage relationship, as it relates to listening to what the prophets brought from God, is simply just saying, look, God has given us some pretty clear direction. Just follow it. And don't add or take away, or, or you know, insinuate that there is prophecy today. Uh, and so, Alan, really appreciate this series. Very thorough. I like how we've sort of you know started out by defining who a prophet is, how they're a spokesman from God. We looked at the messianic prophecies that clearly showed that God, thousands of years before things occurred, said what would happen, which establishes that His truth can be trusted. And, you know, there's a passage that you started out a couple of these podcasts with as it relates to that, you know, no prophecy has come by private interpretation, that men only spoke as the Holy Spirit revealed the truth to them. So I hope for our listeners that this has been beneficial to you. It really shows that that God, once again, has our best interests at heart and that we can rely on everything that He has given us in His Word and not have any doubts. And so I guess the final thought for me would be, therefore, we should reject any religions that are contrary to God's will, any supposed prophecies that people would claim today. Because the Bible makes it very clear. We have all the prophecies have been revealed. We have everything fully revealed. Now let's just live as God would have us to live. So Jeff, let me go ahead and turn it over to you to point uh, our listeners back to the website.
0: Oh. So uh, as Brian indicates, we do have a lot of material at our website at biblequestions.org under the topics button to include under the letter P for prophecy, as well as P for premillennialism, which you hear a lot about today, Uh, S for sex, you know, at least from a, a biblical sexuality perspective, M for marriage, A for abortion, and D for the death penalty would encourage our listeners to go to the website, uh, look at the material, especially study, investigate the scripture references that are provided, and where their lives are not quite in harmony with what the Bible uh, says uh, they should be, uh, have the, uh, the courage and conviction and faith to uh, make appropriate changes for
1: God. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered, and you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.